evidence and answers. Never leave Buddhism and become a Christian. That is what James, a 90-year-old Japanese-American, told his hospice chaplain, Paul. Paul asked James, what are the teachings of Buddhism and what convinced him that it was true? James stated, my family heritage is Buddhist and that is why I am a Buddhist. It was a few weeks later, 90-year-old James came to faith in Christ. So what happened? How did Chaplain Paul reach this man for Christ? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat and his guest, Chaplain Paul, will be sharing his story and explains why we should never give up on our family and friends, no matter how old or resistant they are to the gospel message. Now with part one of this two-part interview is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, the decisions that we have to make about life and death are some of the most difficult and important decisions we're going to make, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones and someone who's involved in making those decisions each day or helping patients make those kinds of very important decisions each day is our friend here, hospice chaplain, Chaplain Paul. And Chaplain, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you, Dr. Patrick. It's an honor to be here. Well, you know, these kinds of big decisions are the type that you face every day yourself, and you're helping patients make those kind of decisions. So this is really real life situations that we're talking about here where faith and practice really come together in real life situations, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So hospice is really a life and death environment. So people are living and then they get given a six months prognosis to live. And then usually within that time frame, they pass on. So it's a, a real job to say the least. Yes. Give us a description of what you do. Okay, so I'm a chaplain, a spiritual coordinator with patients want care. I can provide for them from their faith background. So that's providing for them and I can provide directly to them from my faith background, which is a Protestant conservative chaplain. So I preach Jesus to them. I share the gospel. I share Bibles, Christian literature, encourage them to participate in fellowship and accountability and worship and prayer. That's the gist of what I do. How many years have you been working as a hospice chaplain? As a hospice chaplain, about nine months. As a pastor, over eight years. Yes. Now, how did you know God was calling you into this particular line of work? Good question. Since I was about eight years old, I knew that God was calling me to the pastoring field. And as life progressed, I felt called to be a chaplain specifically. And through knowing what people's stories are and being able to partner with that and sharing Jesus and comforting them, in a general sense, pastoring and chaplaincy is what I'm called to do. Specifically hospice, I believe is perhaps a seasonal time in my life. But why am I a hospice chaplain now? I was looking for jobs that were in the pastoring field. And I saw that one and I believe the Lord led me to do it. And I prayed about it, did the interview. I had a dream about how the outcome would be for the interview. And the dream came to pass. And I'm walking into what I believe God has called me to do. Yes. Now, these are some of the biggest decisions these people and their families are making. So how important is faith and your worldview when it comes to your work? 
I think it's the most important part of the whole job. So if I come in there with a worldview that doesn't care about who they are or doesn't care about what's going to happen afterwards, that's going to shape how I interact with them. But I come from a Judeo-Christian worldview. It's expressed in conservatism, evangelicalism, Protestantism. I believe that the authority in life comes from God's word. It's inspired by him. It's completely inerrant. And from that framework of knowing that God has given us his message, his heart, I then frame all of my interactions with my patients from that foundation. It believes that the timeline of humanity is directional. It has a purpose. It believes that there is a God, there is a sovereign Lord who is Lord of all, that we are here for a purpose for only a season. And that at the end of this life, there is finality for what we're experiencing now, and it moves on to either eternity with God or eternity apart from God. So that definitely frames my interactions with my patients. The evangelical part comes in as I need to be gospel-centric, evangelize the good news, and I need to be proclaiming that to my patients, letting them know that there's a good opportunity for them to be joining for the rest of eternity. So that's a quick summary of how my worldview shapes my my hospice chaplaincy. Yeah. Now, how important is understanding your worldview, not only in the kind of line of work that, that you do, but for every Christian to understand what is a worldview and especially the Christian worldview? If the statistics are right from the studies we are reading, nine out of 10 Christians don't have a biblical worldview. I, th- I don't think many are familiar mm-hmm. with a worldview or what is a biblically consistent worldview. So how important is that not only for what you do, but for every Christian to understand that? Yeah, great question. So if we believe that we are followers of Jesus, if we proclaim that we are Christians, that that must mean something in what we think, believe, behave, and do. So if I say I'm a Christian, there's a worldview that goes with that, and it has to be consistent with my lifestyle, because everything I do is a billboard for what I believe. If I say I'm a follower of Jesus, then my life should represent that. There should be this congruency between my profession and my actions. So if I say I'm a Christian and I work at the grocery store as a cashier person, the way I behave at the cash register should exude Christian principles because my worldview, how I believe and perceive the world should be influencing what I'm doing. If I'm a politician, my politics, my voting stances should reflect what I believe and do, which should come from a the worldview that I have. If we say we're Christian, we should be voting pro-Christian. We should be voting pro-gospel. If we're, you can just fill in the blank of whatever job you have, you should be doing it from your worldview in a consistent manner. I believe it should be a Christian worldview. So we should be behaving in ways that are congruent with our worldview. Yeah. You know, Christian faith is not just about me getting to heaven you know, as you explain, it's an all-embracing worldview of how we view reality. And it answers the big questions of life, you know, origins, meaning, origins, where do we come from? Meaning, why am I here? Morality, how do I live? And eternity, you know, what happens after death? And the Christian worldview, well, any worldview should answer all four of those questions. And you and I believe the Christian worldview best answers those four questions. Not only do they give the best rational answers, but also there's the most compelling evidence mm-hmm. to support the Christian worldview over any other. Isn't that right? I absolutely believe that. If we say that we are Christians 
then our morals should reflect that. Our purpose in life should reflect that. Our understanding of time should reflect that. Everything should be coming from the place of how we perceive reality. Some people call it a paradigm or a frame of mind or a perception or your lens or your view. Worldview is a great term for it. The worldview should be influencing everything you do. And if it's a Christian worldview, the Holy Spirit can enable us to walk out what that looks like. Now, people should be asking those kinds of questions, those four big questions, yes. you know, in, in their elementary and high school years. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't ask it later on in life. I was asking those questions in high school and found the Christian worldview to have the best answers mm -hmm. with the strongest, most compelling evidence. But people that you work with there at the hospice mm -hmm. now, I'm sure that they are serious. If they've never addressed those issues before, I am sure that they are asking those questions at that moment. Are they asking mm -hmm. those kind of questions? Sometimes they'll ask questions like, if I commit suicide, will I, like what happens when I die? What's going to happen? I'm scared to die. What's happening next? Chaplain, like, I want to die right now. Like, help me die. Like, can you pray to God that helps me that just I die right now? They're, they're, they're done with this life. They often don't use the term worldview, but there's often something underlying their question. It's contentment in living. It's discontentment in living. There's something going on. Usually it's a struggle with their existence or with what's coming next that orients their questions. Now, you are not particularly at a, quote, Christian kind of organization you're working for, but are you allowed to share your faith while working for the company that you're working for and the kind of hospitals or hospice centers that you are at? Yeah, great question. So according to the books, I am supposed to be providing spiritual care to the patients in a way that ministers to them, that honors their faith background. So if they're a Muslim patient, I shouldn't try to proselytize. And proselytization is the definition for that is basically trying to get somebody to get to where they don't want to go. So if they don't want to become Christians and I'm trying to force Christianity on them, Technically, by the books, I'm not supposed to do that. Do I share the gospel with patients that have not asked for it? I have. What did Jesus say to do in Matthew 28? Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even into the ends of the earth. That's our calling in life. It says in Acts 1.8 that Jesus said, Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are filled with power from on high, and then you'll be my witnesses into the uttermost parts of the earth. Judea, Samaria, etc. I encourage you who are listening to read these passages of scripture and to test what I'm saying. There's a calling that we have to be heralds of God's truth. And there's a hierarchy of legislation in this world. God's word is supreme. It's at the top. Anything beneath that needs to subjugate itself to God's word from heaven to say, preach the gospel. And somebody's limiting me from doing that. I'm going to obey God rather than man. Yeah. So you can't technically go in there and just do sh evangelism straight from the start, but you can, what I call prime the pump or salt the oats yes. you know, because they're wrestling with those great questions. Now, what mm -hmm. was my life all about? Right. You know, I'm not taking any of this with me, you know, when I breathe my final breath. Mm -hmm. So what was my life all about? Or did I actually really live a good life mm -hmm. or what happens? Suddenly they realize, you know what? I'm going to spend a whole lot more time on the other side of eternity's door than on this side. Right. Exactly. What's over there? I mean, are those the kind of questions that they are asking and wrestling with now? 
Some are, there's a plethora of issues people are working with right before they die. Surprisingly, a lot of them are ready to die. I'll have a lot of centennial patients that are 105, 104, 103 years oh. old, and they feel ready to pass on because they've lived a full life. Others are discontent with their physical condition being as it is. It's limiting. They can't do the things they once did. So they're ready to die in that sense. Only a few, and there actually are a lot because I've, I've been this job for a while now. So there are several who have major questions about what's next. And they're scared because people often don't fear what they understand completely, but what is unknown can be fearful to them. So eternity or some people view annihilationism or some people view karma or reincarnation to them. That's fearful because they don't know what it is. So they have questions about that and I get to speak into it. Well, so what are some ways in which you prime the pump in which the doors can open for this kind of conversation to take place? Great question. We should use scripture as our example on how to prime the pump. So we look at Mars Hill in Acts 15. The Apostle Paul says, I see that you guys are serving an unknown God. He basically recognizes what they're connecting with in that moment. And then from that, he connects that to heaven. He connects that to the true God, the supreme being. Oftentimes, I'll just walk into a home with patients or a facility, or sometimes it's just a phone call, and I'll assess what's going on in their life. I'll offer a spiritual assessment. I'm asking about their heritage. Okay, where are they from? What was their family like? What kind of religious leanings did they have before? What are their thoughts currently on the idea of hospice? And hospice is fairly well known as a program that is for the dying. So when somebody becomes admitted into hospice, they pretty much know they're dying. So I can just ask them, okay, how are you processing being on hospice? In other words, how are you processing imminent death? And for them, that often brings up questions about the afterlife or their thoughts on religion or their thoughts on being. And once I find a connection point to what they value, maybe it's family, maybe it's religion, maybe it's not suffering, then I can connect biblical passages on that. The Bible has a lot to say about family. The Bible has a lot to say about suffering. The Bible has a lot to say about the afterlife. So usually they're giving me an open door and then the Holy Spirit will connect that to a passage of scripture or a message that I should be sharing with them that's going to prime the pump, if you will, to then share the gospel. You know, and that's a great technique, not only, you know, in hospice care, but just in every day around the office yes. or at the school, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So today is a Wednesday. Previously, this past Sunday, I was on an airplane and I was praying and the lady beside me was minding her own business, but I felt like the Lord said, tell her about me. So I begin a conversation with her and she tells me that she um, is into photography and that, you know, she lives in a certain location and et cetera, et cetera. And she asked what I do. And so, I, of course, I share about me being in the chaplaincy field. And that has questions that she brings up. And the main thing that we connected on was the idea of helping people. And so then I talked to her about the best helper in the world, the best helper in the universe, God, Jesus. And I start preaching the gospel to her. And I start sharing with her how Jesus can help her. That was on an airplane. It wasn't a intended encounter that I was precipitating. It, it just kind of happened that we were, I was available to the Lord and he used me. So for all the listeners out there, God wants to use you. God wants to use your availability for his purposes. Now, how can people develop that skill mm -hmm. of interacting and seeing these open yeah. avenues in which they can start pursuing conversations about God and truth and eternity and eventually yeah. the gospel. 
Great question. So what we meditate on is what we begin to magnify. So if we're continually listening to the radio show of evidence and answers, if we're reading Dr. Patrick's books, if we're reading the Bible, if we're reading apologetics, if we're studying the things that's going to grow us in preaching the gospel, that's going to make us more aware of it. I get the opportunity to read scripture every day. And when I'm doing that, it's not just a religious exercise. It's an act of devotion to get closer to the Lord, to understand what is he saying to his church, he's saying to me. And then from that framework of listening to God, I get to walk out of my house and see the world prayerfully from God's eyes and say, God, who do you want me to talk to? Who should I be preaching the gospel to? It shouldn't be a mechanical exercise that we have to muster up. It should be an outflow of daily devotion of wanting to follow God. And that comes from I believe spiritual disciplines, reading God's word, worshiping him, praying, fellowshipping with believers that are going to encourage you to do that. So it's an all-encompassing lifestyle that's going to motivate you to preach the gospel. Yes, and I believe that sharing our faith or what's called evangelism Mm -hmm. isn't always going to end with someone praying the sinner's prayer. Right. And that doesn't mean you haven't successfully shared Christ or been ineffective. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my definition of evangelism is bring the person one step closer to Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. So if you leave someone with a better understanding of what the gospel is, or if someone doesn't believe in Mm -hmm. God and you've got them to question, well, then if atheism is true, what is the meaning of our existence? You know, and they're going to come to the conclusion, well, there isn't any. Mm -hmm. And then you say, well, that's correct. You know, you happy with that? You know, and you get them to see the emptiness of their particular worldview. You've brought them one step closer, mm-hmm. you know, because the next question is, well, could there be another mm-hmm. better answer out there? The evidence is pretty compelling that God does exist. You know, maybe you want to take a look at it. And if you leave it with that, you've brought them one step closer. So <laughs> I think most of your encounters, you may not be hitting the home run, but you're certainly getting them to first mm-hmm. or second base. Amen. I totally believe that. It says in the New Testament, some water, some reap, or some plow, but God gives the increase. So no matter what we're doing, there's an effect that's happening that God does not return to him void. And though the context is God speaking through his prophet to a people group about impending judgment, it can also be applied to the gospel. And that is when we preach the gospel, something's happening, whether it's implicit or explicit, there's an effect that could be happening in the other person's heart because a seed was planted and God might bring that fruit out in the future. Yes, let's talk about some of the people that you interact with. Being here in Hawaii and our show airs in Asia and on the West Coast, you get to interact a lot with people from a Buddhist background, being that there are a lot from Asian backgrounds here in our state. So tell us about some of those interactions. Okay. There was a patient who was Buddhist. He was 90 years old. And I called the family and the daughter answered the phone. I said, hello, this is Chaplain. Can I um, come over to the house and give you a spiritual assessment for the company's protocol? And she said, yeah, I think my dad would like that. So I get to the home, I get invited to the living room. I meet the father, the hospice patient who's 90 years old. And he begins to tell me about his condition. And the wife's like, no, 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 just let's focus on why the chaplain's here, the spiritual, the spiritual aspect. Oh, well, chaplain, you know, I'm, I'm not really that spiritual. I, I grew up Buddhist, but it was more like a Sunday school thing. My parents are Buddhist. They believe it. I, I really don't even know what Buddhists believe. Oh, okay, sir. All right. Yeah. 
So tell me about like how you're processing that. Well, you know, uh, my son-in-law, like they're Christian and my son is Christian, but I don't know. I, I have so many questions. What do you think, chaplain? There you go. The pump's been primed. He led the conversation. I, I then asked him, well, I can share with you what Buddhists believe and I can share with you what Christians believe. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, tell me about that. I shared what Buddhists believe from a Christian worldview. They desire to not be suffering. They desire to not have attachment in this life. They desire to reincarnate into something that is, is a being that's less suffering, eventually to reincarnate into not experiencing anything at all, like having no feeling, having no attachment. But I also shared the, the pitfalls of Buddhism. And that is, you cannot function in this world as a human being without attachment. If I slap somebody across the face and they say, ow, were you attached to your feelings? Like, aren't you supposed to like not have attachment? That's, that's an unattainable goal that he wants to, or at least he was describing at the time, this desire to adhere to Buddhism. So I asked him, okay, so is your desire to reincarnate into something that's suffering less? He had no surety that that would happen, even if he had good karma or good deeds in this life. I shared with him Christianity. I said, okay, well, the gospel is God made everything. He has a purpose for your life. He's inviting you to follow him. He wants to forgive you of everything bad you've ever done. He wants you to apologize, be remorseful, and turn from the ways that you've once walked, and that is a way against God. Ask him to forgive you, and he's going to renew your life, and he wants you to spread his message of the gospel everywhere. You know, even though he only has, you know, less than six months to live, that's the intention God has for him to be a light of the gospel in his home. That made sense to him to an extent, but he had a lot of questions. He had a lot of things against becoming a Christian. So he shared them. He said, well, I know those Catholics, they eat fish on Fridays. And then his daughter was listening and said, dad, you don't eat fish anyway. <laughs> so it was just something he was kind of presenting as like, oh, well, this is, this is my, my shield for the faith, like my shield to do this. He was concerned about having his life limited. He didn't like the idea of not being able to do whatever he wanted. His daughter then again chimed in, dad, you don't go anywhere. You're on hospice. You're at home all day. You're not, you have no ability to go out and do anything that maybe Christianity would restrict you from. He wanted to honor his parents. His parents had lived into their 90s as well, had died many years ago. And the thought of doing something that was different than them was a struggle for him. He didn't want to let go of the traditions of the past to step into the new. I think that's a major yes. you know, hurdle for many yes. coming from Asia. Mm -hmm. you know, our ancestors have been Buddhists for generations. Mm -hmm. And... I don't want to dishonor them. Yeah. I think that's a major issue mm -hmm. there. So, yeah, well, I think we're all anxious to hear how you address that. <laughs> yes, a similar question. Like, like my parents never gave their life to Jesus. Like, does that mean that they're not in a better place right now? Like, I want to go wherever they are right now. And I shared with him that they have a, a wonderful opportunity to follow God. It says in Romans 1 and onward that... We all have a moral code that we know what is right and wrong. And we're going to be held accountable to that code that we all can see creation. We are human beings that have been designed by God. We see the trees outside. We see the planets, the stars, the constellations, the many, many millions and millions of cells in the human body and how complex each cell is. That all testifies to a designer. And we're accountable to know that there is a designer out there because of the fact that we're designed. So there's this sense of God 
available to everybody. So his parents have had that opportunity to believe in God through what has been already made presented to them. That made sense to him, but he still had this hesitancy to convert to Christianity because it was just such a strong thing to him. For 90 years, he's a Buddhist and he wasn't ready to make that decision. He says, if anybody's going to convert me, it's going to be my son. He's a good Christian. So time progressed. And I offered to have him listen to an episode of Evidence and Answers presented by Dr. Patrick Zucharin on the apologetics for Buddhists to become Christians. And his daughter connected with the iPad, had him listen to it. I visited the next time and it had made an impact on him. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerberg.